You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Impact Partners. This season, we are igniting the imagination of leaders through conversations with the four recipients of the 2023 Locke Innovative Leader Award. These spiritual entrepreneurs exemplify the award's aim to honor innovative leaders who have taken risks to bring about a better world where more people know God's love. Visit our new YouTube channel to watch and comment on the video. For more information, go to wesleyanimpactpartners.org. Hi, friends. Welcome to a new season of Igniting Imagination. I'm Lisa Greenwood, and joining me this season as my co-host is the Reverend Dr. Owen Ross. Hi, Owen. Hey, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for saying yes. I'm so excited about doing this together. Same here. So this season, we're talking about innovation in the church by highlighting our 2023 class of Lock Innovative Leaders. You'll hear from each one of them in the following episodes, and they are an incredible group of people. I cannot wait for you to get to know them through these conversations. But today, we are just as excited to share with you our conversation with Dr. Kenda Creasy Dean, who titled the first chapter of her new book, Innovating for Love, Why Innovation is the Wrong Word. Okay, how perfect to invite Kenda to share with us as we begin this season on innovation and to have her join us and unpack what she means by innovation and the work that she has done. We're really excited. And perfect that Owen Ross is here as our co-host. And so, Owen, we thought of you as the perfect co-host because of your track record for courageous and innovative ministry and really how you're leading in the church today to think outside the box and invest in new spaces and new places to reach new people and to share the gospel. So we want our listeners to get to know you. And we thought instead of reading your bio, that we just do a little bit of Q&A with you. Sound okay? Sounds great. Okay, great. So will you tell us a little bit about your own call to ministry and how you were led to start Christ's Foundry, United Methodist Mission in Dallas? Yeah, well, I grew up in a small town in East Texas, and it was actually, I was down in the Peace Corps in Ecuador, where I finally answered that call that I had been sensing since probably ninth grade in high school, that call to go to ministry. And so I was raising pigs in Ecuador, and I applied to come to seminary in Dallas, Texas, to Perkins School of Theology, uh, where I now teach. And while I was there, I spent a semester at Africa University. Because I wanted to be, I, I, I want to be a missionary, and I was studying acculturation theology. I was studying uh, church planting. Meanwhile, the senior pastor of the church I had been working at, Lovers Lane United Methodist Church, Pastor Stan Copeland, and the urban strategist of North Texas, Sarah Wilkie, I mm. like to say they were busy planning the rest of my life. And so <laughs> when I came back, they shared with me, we have a lot of Spanish speakers in Dallas County, and you learned how to speak Spanish in Ecuador, so we need you to plant a Spanish-language church. And that's when I moved in north of Love Field and started knocking doors, and uh, La Fundición de Cristo, or Christ Foundry as it's also known, eventually grew to be the largest Spanish-language church in, the, in United Methodism. That's awesome. And now you serve as the Director of Church Development in North Texas. So you're helping others think creatively about planting and about church revitalization. And so what does church development mean? Like when we say that, what does that mean for you? 
So church development for me means equipping congregations to gather new faces and new spaces. Our our vision is every church planting. And we know if, if every church is planting, planting is going to look uh, differently in every church. You know, some congregations have the capacity to develop multi-million dollar campuses. But I, just this morning, I got off the phone with a uh, Pastor Daniel Kim, who's been planting a boba tea church where she's gathering 1.5 and second generation Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders to drink boba tea and and talk about life and to do discipleship uh, together. So for me, church development is in, entering into a, a, the diversity of church planting and helping churches reach people that they're currently not reaching. Beautiful. And I think this notion of every church a planter tees up our conversation for this whole season so well. I'm so excited to to just let that theme unravel or I don't mean unravel in a bad way, but in a good way, um, unfold as we move through the season. So, um, so as we've said, the season is all about innovation and I, I'm curious what comes to mind for you when you think about and talk about innovation in the church and and maybe particularly what you're seeing in your work of teaching evangelism at Perkins School of Theology. Yeah, so and the assignment I have for every one of my students is throughout the course of the semester, they have to develop an evangelism experiment that they will actually do in their ministry context. And so with all of them being, you know, we have some from, you know, rural East Texas, we have some in urban settings, we have some in various ethnic ministries. And so the the ideas of their com- that they're coming up with is of how to reach uh, new persons. That's what innovation is, and that's what what the book is about today. Is about you know how do we gather people and love people well, uh, and discover how we do that today, and and do that in various contexts. Well, we're going to get to dig into that a little bit more with our first guest. Kenda Creasy Dean. And before I give her bio, I just want to say again, Owen, I'm so grateful for your saying yes to this. We've known each other in ministry for a long time, and this is a real joy to get to do, especially on this topic. And so thank you for saying yes and for joining us this season. Same here. I'm honored. Great, great. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Kenda Creasy Dean. She is an ordained United Methodist pastor, and she serves as the Mary D. Sennett Professor of Youth, Church, and and Culture at Princeton Theological Seminary. Her areas of specialization include Christian education and formation, adolescent spiritual formation, youth and young adult ministries, and Christian social innovation, which we'll talk about a little bit, as well as pastoral theology and theories of teaching. She is an author of numerous books, including Almost Christian, What the Faith of Our Teenagers is Telling the American Church, and most recently, Innovating for Love, Joining God's Expedition Through Christian Social Innovation. So, Owen, what stood out for for you from our conversation with Kenda? Her coming back to that, how do we love people well, that is Mm -hmm. both individual as well as systemic and about getting deep on listening and, uh, you know, experimenting and seeking to discover. We know we're supposed to love our neighbor, but but we don't always know how to love well. And her 
giving permission and that the other word that she that she used about that holy impatience really spoke to me yes. uh, about it being in the season that and how God will use that holy impatience to help to help us learn how to uh, if we can balance that holy impatience with that need to listen that we can see mm-hmm. where God is moving and participate in in God's work yeah yeah so good All right, let's listen to our conversation with Kenda. Hi, Kenda. Thank you for being with us. It's so fun to be here. This is going to be fun. So here we go. We're just going to jump in. And we've got to start with the title of your first chapter, Why Innovation is the Wrong Word. (laughs) So (laughs) tell us about that. Well, um, I, I think the big thing with starting with that was just to try to reposition the way the church thinks about innovation so that we're not sucked into a conversation that has been really allied with um, technical advances and ways of, of making things more efficient and more, you know, faster and move. And those are, those are cultural impulses that the church actually kind of resists a little bit. So I think when we talk about innovation, we're talking about we've got to do something different. We've got to do something, quote unquote, new. Well, first of all, as you know, there's not very much new that we can think of that God hasn't thought of first. And secondly, you know, what we're really saying is we have not loved people well. And Mm -hmm. the issue is not that we haven't been innovative, although that is true, I think. The issue is that we haven't loved people well. And we haven't been able to create contexts for loving people well that make sense in our current cultural realities that we're facing. And so we experience that as, oh my gosh, we got we're, we're doing it wrong. We've got to do something quote unquote innovative. I just want to kind of situate the conversation someplace else. The word innovation has the Latin root novum. And I think that's in scripture, but innovation actually isn't. So, you know, it's a little God's new thing. As long as we're talking about God's new thing, I'm perfectly happy with that being innovation. Um, But I would prefer that we try to keep straight how much of it's God's and how much of it's ours. So To talk a little bit about that, about what does innovation mean? You know, the book's about Christian social innovations, but maybe we can break down uh, those phrases. You know, what is social innovation and then what is Christian social innovation and what makes Christian social innovation distinct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as you know, I don't use any of these terms very technically in this book, right? So if you think it's innovative, I'm happy to go with that. (laughs) But social innovation, of course, is just a way of making change that keeps human relationships at the center, right? So the idea is that you are, we are creating a new way to think about how we relate to one another in ways that are, you know, helpful or life-giving or, or, dignity restoring, or however we want to say that. It's the work of the church. We call it ministry most of the time. And historically, we didn't call it social innovation. We just said, this is ministry. Uh, But now we're, you know, more, I guess, evolved on that. So we have different words for it. And so social innovation is something that communities, and it it comes out of social entrepreneurship often. Entrepreneurship has... um, is a freighted term for a lot of people, but there is a there is an economic dimension to it. It kind of assumes that there is a better way that we could relate to each other, even economically, than we have in the past. So, 
you put Christian in front of that, and now then it gets super messy because frankly, Christians ought to just be doing social innovation without needing the adjective. But um, what I'm trying to signal in the work that I'm doing is that this is this is the work of the church. It's not something that we're just going to leave to people with good humanitarian instincts. We want to work with those folks, but churches are filled with those people. So it's you know it's a process by which we are enacting our discipleship. Well, so I, that's it's super awkward. I want a better term. Somebody please invent one. Well, I, I was also I, taken I back in one. the first chapter about, you know, I drill into our planters, know your why, know your why, know your why. And you come <laughs> straight out and you say, that's the wrong question. Will you share more? It's the wrong first question. It's not mm. a wrong question, but it's, but Christians, this is one of the things that I think distinguishes us, right? We are always going to be guided by who more than by why or what. And that who is it's a double who. It's the who of Jesus Christ, first of all, right? And also the person, the people God has placed on our path. So we don't have to go out and look for people who need ministry. We just look around and figure out how it is that God has called us to be, you know, Christ envoys in that setting. So I think that starting with who gives us our why, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to it, to go abstract really quickly if we start with why. Well, you know, we've got these lofty ambitions or whatever, but they may or may not have a darn thing to do with, you know, the actual living, breathing human being in front of us. That's where it's got to start. Well, and you're getting at something that I think I have struggled to articulate for a long time. And, and that is because we, we talk about why, and I think it's really important to start with purpose and to know your purpose. Sure. But when we're in the church, when we're talking about our faithful why, it is always connected to the who. And it is always about, you know, relationships. And, and as you say, you know, innovation is the wrong word because we think about the doing when it's actually an invitation. The church is always working out of loving. And, and what it means to love well and to connect people. And so our why and our who is so integrally connected that we, if, if we are talking about why without the who, then we, we're sort of missing the point. It's not about a product or an outcome. It's really about this driving of the Holy Spirit, which brings me to the other point that I think you are making, and that is how are we listening to the call of God, the, the movement of the Holy Spirit when we, when we do this? And so... So this, okay, so I say all that to bring me to this. Um, That's super well this, said, by the way. I'm, I'm going to sign up for that. <laughs> right, right. You know, well, you're kind. So um, you you talk about how Christians do our best innovating indirectly. Yeah, and I'm I I would love to hear you talk more about that because I I think there's something really rich in that that language of innovating indirectly. Well, I mean, I what's behind that is I we I don't think we want to make our goal innovation. We want to make our goal loving people mm. well, right? And to do that well, we have to innovate. We have to try new things. And the I've never been able to come up with a better example than parenting, right? Because a parent will try all sorts of things to stop the baby from crying, right? We don't stop trying something new until the tears stop. 
right? We continue mm -hmm. to, and that's why I use the runaway bunny story as a metaphor for that, because we are, we are intuitively, I think, wired to try things that will bless the people that we love or bless the people that we're trying to address. And that impulse to keep trying something different, to keep, to keep it iterating is the, is the word we would use now, right? To keep it going until we hit on something that actually scratches the itch. You know, that is, that's an intuitive instinct of anybody who cares for another human being. And, you know, we dress it up in all this language, right? So, but if we make innovation our goal, that person who's in tears stops being the, our focus. And mm -hmm. I, that's part of the who question for me, right? The, the idea is that we want to address the person first and to do that and to do it well and to do it in a way that makes sense in the context that we're in requires us to continually try new things in order to get to the point that they are genuinely embraced. So you get to work with with pastors and leaders from, I mean, all over. Most of my work is focused here in in North Texas, uh, working with seminarians at at Perkins School of Theology. And when you're looking and working with these leaders, uh, a two part question: one, what is inspiring you in this season? Like, what are you seeing happen? What is that which is classified as innovation that is that is just fertilizing hope within you? And then what uh, advice do you have to give to such leaders? I mean, I think an obvious advice is buy this book, read this book, <laughs> use the appendices, <laughs> use those resources. But, uh, but what other kind of just words would you be giving leaders? And so that two part, what are you receiving? And then and what are you giving? The big thing that I see everywhere uh, right now, I see two things, right? When I'm speaking to groups or even my students, one is exhaustion. You know, mm -hmm. people are really kind of at the end of who they prepared to be, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of leadership. Yeah. They've, they've given it everything they've got and the well is dry. <clears throat> yes. Except for maybe a little trickle, which is what keeps them going, but it's not. So that's one thing. But the other thing is a holy impatience. There is no, there is no will. I don't think right now to cover up the fact that it, you know we've had termites for a while, and it is now laid bare. There's no, and nobody. I don't see anybody trying to say no. What we're doing is okay, you know. Yes. And that holy impatience, I think, is what underlies a lot of social movements, right? I don't know that this is a social movement yet, but changing, the church needs to be a social movement. And Methodists, of course, we're, we're, of all people, we're supposed to be a social movement. Right, right. Um, to begin to bring, create new openings for the spirit in the world that we're in. And that doesn't happen if you're patient. <laughs> it needs right. a little holy impatience. Uh -huh. So I see that as a good thing. I actually think the pandemic we will look back on as a gift. Not not the not the fact of the pandemic, but as an, a holy interruption that forced us to create a new way of thinking about the church. We were going to get there anyway, but we just saved ourselves twenty years of arguing about it. You know, yeah. so 
So I want to be careful when I say the pandemic's a gift. That's not actually what I mean, but I mean the timing and the interruption of it is. What advice would I give people? I connect, connect with other people who are, Mm. you know, um, holy oddballs, like, like we feel like we are, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, every one of the, one of the common things, I think this is true for pastors generally, but we all feel like we're in this alone. We all feel like we're the only people who want to swim upstream right now. And no wonder that's exhausting. You know, yeah. we don't have the whole flock flying in the same direction. And so an awful lot of what I wind up doing if I'm doing a Con Ed event or whatever is just doing two things. One, creating a situation where people can connect with other folks who are also experiencing holy impatience. And they're like, really? I'm not alone? Mm. That's incredibly empowering for people. And the other thing is just giving them the permission to say yes. Yes, this impulse you've got, yes, go with it. You know, it's a, the, the bar is pretty low in terms of the kind of assistance I give people. That's the truth, you know. So, but just to have somebody say, yes, go with it. Yes, there are other people who have experienced things the way you're experiencing them. It feels really important to say, um, to talk about the importance of connection and not doing this alone. I mean, we often say, you know, creativity, innovation actually doesn't happen in isolation. And yeah. there is something um, inherently generative about creativity that is is fostered, you know, in in conversation and, and, and in collaboration, right? And that's really, that feels like a really beautiful bit of advice for folks. Don't do this alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. That's, that's good pastoral advice no matter what you're doing, but... Sure. Yeah, for, for sure. And there's another piece I'm hearing in this around innovation, and I was trying to get my head around what I'm hearing. And it's when you're talking about innovation not being the goal, not being even the driver. But at the same time as you're saying that, which I, I agree, right? It's it's really about this this call of God to love well, to love our neighbor, to love ourselves, to to build community, to make a difference, to help human flourishing, you know, all these things that are, those are the driver, this um, Holy Spirit work. And at the same time, I'm also hearing you come back to innovation as a must. In other words, if we're actually going to do that right now, we have to always thinking about if this isn't working, our inherited models or fill in the blank isn't working, what new thing are, is the Holy Spirit doing that we want to join or what inspiration is right. God giving us that we want to act on? I think that's really true. I don't know that there's ever been a time for where ministry has not, where good ministry has not had to be, you know, responsive to, you know, the the moment at hand, right? So we, so we have to be paying attention to that. At the same time, we can't settle for habits that we are, are simply comfortable or that for, uh, for the fact that we don't have an imagination for something different. I mean, that's, I really think that a lot of what is uh, pastors experience as their limits is they just can't see something else. We're so embedded in our way of doing, which is one reason I put five gazillion examples in the book, right? Because there are just way, there's way more happening out there than people realize. And, but most of us, you know, we're shaped by the imaginations of what we have seen. And so, you know, you you can't do something new if you haven't, 
you know, seen it or experienced it. And then you begin to go, oh, wait. And it's not like people think they have to do the exact same thing, although that's sometimes the first thing. But they're like, right. if they could do that, then I can do this. And um, or if they view their context this way, then I can look at my context in a different way as well. So I do think that there's both of those things going on. But the other thing, I just want to make sure that we get to this. I also don't think that what we are going to do in terms of innovation is necessarily going to look all that fancy schmancy, right? Mm-hmm. And what I mean, the way the the image I use for that is, you know. We often think about innovation in Silicon Valley, for example, as helping things get bigger, faster, stronger, right? right? But in the incarnation, God got more limited. God got smaller, slower, and more vulnerable. Yeah. So sometimes the innovation that we are behind is about slowing things down, making things, breaking things apart, making people more human and more vulnerable. That is often our innovation. And that's one of the big ways that we are in a different category than the technical understandings of innovation. I love that. I uh, one, one of the things that keeps bubbling up as we have conversations about sort of this emerging Wesleyan ecosystem yeah. and we think about um, what, what are the Wesleyan gifts that um, meet the needs of the spiritually hungry and we do this and and every single time we have a conversation, even coming at it from different angles, we come back to the power of being around table together, of being Mm, in a small group. mm, And mm. it is so, you know, first century Christianity. It's so John and Charles Wesley. It's, and so I'm hearing you and I'm, I'm like, yes, you know, it's not about abandoning our tradition and who we are, but it's about leaning into what God does when we are together. And that is, slower, simpler, more vulnerable. It's not big and flashy. And it doesn't mean that powerful things can't happen through big and flashy. I'm not exactly, saying that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean- Reminding us, yeah. I, I agree with that. And I also don't want to let us off the hook for disrupting some systems. I mean, I think there is a lot of good happening in coffee shop, third spaces, kinds of ministries, that kind of stuff. But there is also, that's one way to think about innovation. But there's also the kind of innovation that disrupts systems. And we're also Mm -hmm. called to that. And Mm -hmm. so we are in the process right now of trying to figure out how to move beyond, you know, these smaller kind of Mm one-off new ways of thinking about community to what does it look like to really disrupt a system that has, you know, kind of taken over our worlds in ways that we don't acknowledge. And my students are very quick to say, okay, capitalism is the boogeyman and we should just get rid of it or whatever. I don't know what the, I don't know what the solution is. Clearly it's off the rails, but there's how the point is not to wipe it out. The point is to disrupt. The point is to re-enter these systems with this perspective of love, which it, I, I don't think there's anything more disruptive than sacrificial love, you know? Once that's on the table, everything else that we've tried to use to disrupt things looks like small potatoes. And so I really think we are equipped by the story we're trying to live out to be these, to have quote unquote disruptive innovations. But again, the point is not to disrupt. The point is not to innovate. The point is to love people well. And if we have systems that are dehumanizing, we can't love people well unless we change them. 
So yes to both the small innovation and also that small innovation needs to also be the burr under the saddle that just makes it too uncomfortable to stay where we are. So in my role in church development, I serve on the the appointed cabinet of the North Texas Conference. And this week, our our bishop did this reflection about how he used to how he used to water his yard, and he'd have to go out every thirty minutes, and he'd have to change where the sprinkler was until he finally broke down, and he bought himself a uh, a sprinkler system. And he says, and once that got set up, the system would do the work by itself. And so that is that is such a good example that a bishop would use. <laughs> but it, and it got, but it gets me thinking about this about yeah. systems. And so we uh, we have some very destructive systems set up in our society that is just mm-hmm. on auto uh on auto and it yeah. runs by itself and it just it tears people down. It ostracizes people but in the role of church development, you know, I'm thinking about how do we design systems, you know, today in a way that Wesley's, you know, he got the Methodist movement system going and it started going. Jesus got the system going with the disciples that really became a multiply, multiplying movement that didn't just disrupt the system, but it created a, a new system. And so when you're thinking about Christian social innovation, what are those what are those systems or how do we create those systems? How do, how do persons in the sitting around uh, academia or sitting around leadership tables, appointed cabinets, how do they think about creating systems within their judicatories that get on auto run and really become a new system that disrupts the old system and really becomes a multiplying movement of, of love. Yeah, that's a great question. And I might look, my impulse is to say, let's, we have to dial it back first to something to, we need to first learn how to pay attention. You know, mm. um, I talked to a guy yesterday named Luke Edwards from the um, Western North Carolina conference, who you probably know, and who is a wonder. And he has created a, a, what I think is an amazing device. I think his um, website is called The Listening Church. It's based on his book, but it's a listening tool for congregations to help them listen better. It's 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 a way, and you know, Simone Weil talks about attention as a form of prayer. So to to allow ourselves to prayerfully listen is step one, and it's that's I understand how completely basic that sounds, and yet we. We're terrible at it, you know. We don't do that well, and often out of good impulses. We're we're problem solvers. That's how we. A lot of us got into this. We we see it, we we go straight to the solution, and um, syst- systemic solutions, of course, have the most impact. So we want to do that, but I I sometimes think we create systems without having taken the. Uh, we, we haven't plowed the field yet, you know. We just sort of bring in the big equipment. So so that would be the first step is just to say, all right, have we trained our people to listen well? So what does a system look like that first is attentive, right? Starting with those, maybe those are systems too. There are, we're not, we're not good at it. So we need some help with it. So to, so to create some basic kinds of things that just get at how 
to be human with each other, right? And then, you know, I also think that the, um, I'm going to go back to the burr under the saddle thing, right? We have to learn how to um, take the small things that are, you know, creating a, a difference, you know, locally, I guess, and to figure out where is the lever that we can push that will allow for somebody else to be, to experience the holy discomfort that will let them jump on board too. And so the next system, I suppose, after attention is discernment, right? Where is, how do, where's the saddle that we need to get underneath? What is it that we need to connect to that will be awakened by this innovative ministry that we have in mind? And let that be, and let that kind of do its work. I don't know that we have to come up with macro systems right away. We certainly need to head in that direction. Um, but I'm not helpful in saying that, you know, we need to pay attention. We need to discern where the best, that's so obvious. But I think that whatever systems we create will be, have very little impact unless we do those things. I, I know you're saying it, it sounds basic, but I actually think it's really critical because I, I think if we move too quickly to wanting to create the ultimate system, then we'll probably recreate what we already know. And what I'm hearing you say is we have to pay attention to, to the reality of what's happening. Like new systems have to be born out of an empathy yeah. for the pain points of the existing systems that aren't working. And so if we just move too quickly to systems or creating systems, then we, we can overlook the need to really pay attention to what's, what's happening that is not working. And we also yeah. might misdiagnose it, right? We might, mm -hmm. I mean, I tell this extended um, story in the book about a former student of mine who's a pastor in Trenton. And, you know, one of the things during the pandemic that they were doing is creating, giving out lunches because kids did not have school. So they didn't have school lunches. And that was critical in this economically challenged area. And he realized that there were a bunch of people that were taking, you know, multiple lunches. Well, instead of assuming that those um, people were just trying to feed their family longer, right? He began to do some inquiry. And what he found out was the problem was, yes, people needed food, but also the reason they needed all those lunches was they didn't have internet. The, the kids were gathering at whatever spot had the best internet so they could do school online. Well, in a million years, you wouldn't have connected taking a bunch of bag lunches to the fact that the community needs internet unless you have gone into. And so what happened was he was able to, he was able to press on the system in a different place that had a trickle down effect. That was a, that was a eye opener for me when he told me that, you know, like I would not have thought of that. I don't know that I would have taken time. Yeah, that's a great example. And I think it also, I mean, it comes back to sort of how we're using the word system because you can talk about system as the structure you put in place to enact certain kinds of ministries or innovations or relationships or whatever. But you can also talk about kind of the, the system that exists and how you get at systemic change, right? So I, I'm thinking about the example you just used. We're not talking about a system of uh, replicating in scale and all of this about how to distribute lunches. 
it's the it's the paying attention to the underlying systems and this was about internet and access and such that were causing other pain points and so just differentiating a little bit by how we talk about systems and i'm hearing you say pay attention to what's you know what's upstream or what's underlying which is a kind of a systemic approach if you will which then helps you know where to apply that little burr under the saddle <laughs> to be disrupted right. um, in, in, in helpful, fruitful, impactful ways. And, yeah. and just to be clear, because it does illustrate um, what y'all were saying, is that where Eric ended with that was at the state legislature. He was, in fact, yes. trying to influence systems in the end of it. Because yes. part of what was behind the, the internet problem and the fact that people weren't getting their checks and that there were a lot of interconnected things that he needed to be a disruptive force. And he didn't do it alone. He got a bunch of people to go with him. But he had to help wake up the um, legislature to be able to, you know, mobilize, in his case, it was mobilizing systems that were in place that were not right. working. And yes. so there is a systemic answer to this, you know. Yes. But again, it, I, I sometimes think that I might have started at the legislature, and that would have been the wrong place <laughs> to go. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's a great example. So this has been so good, Kenda, and we are um, we're going to wrap up with our uh, final question that we're asking all our guests during this season, and it's actually based off a comment Walter Brueggemann made about your book. Um, and and so this is the question that we've drawn from that. Um, what is a breath of fresh air in the church today that is nothing less than the gift of the Spirit that you are seeing? Yeah, I I have the the joy of being a teacher, and so I and, and you know I you guys have done this too. There's nothing that gives me more hope than the young leaders who are out there who are. You know, they have holy impatience in spades and they are ready. They will they will make a hundred mistakes. They will jump the gun, you know, every time. They will be eager and in their own way more than not. And they are completely smitten with God and with the people who God has put on their path. And it's really hard not to be hopeful when you get to work with young leaders. Nice, beautiful. Well, that's a, a, a lovely note to end on. Thank you, Kenda. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks. Thank you, Kenda. Igniting Imagination is a production of the Leadership Ministry Team at Wesleyan Impact Partners with excellent editing support from TruthWork Media. Follow us on social media at Wesleyan Impact Partners. Visit our website at ignitingimagination.org and share our episodes with friends and colleagues. Our hope is that these conversations can spark imagination in your context. I'm Blair Thompson-White. On behalf of all of us at Wesleyan Impact Partners, thanks for listening.